um, is, is, uh, is a challenge for each of us to finish 2020 with great joy. There is not likely one of us that have not felt the impact or the, the burden of this past year with COVID-19, uh, family illnesses, uh, families trying to deal with the, uh, and manage the virtual learning for their children, teachers trying to uh, teach in new ways to meet the needs of students, the economic impact of households and communities and businesses. It's been a lot. So into all of that, I just want to simply offer this theme of doubt to joy. 2020 uh, represents, uh, and what I want to offer is uh, our text for this morning, Luke, the first chapter, verses 5 through 25. And we are simply going to just walk through this text, uh, the story of... of, uh, of Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah. But let me first just give a bit of background to our text. These were dark days for the nation of Israel. The people had not heard a prophetic word from God for over for 400 years, not since Malachi, where, where, uh, uh, where Malachi had promised the coming of Elijah that gave that picture, that four prophetic word of the coming of the Messiah. The spiritual leaders of the day, they were shackled by tradition and in some instances, corruption, uh, the king, oh, that king, King Herod the Great, he was a tyrant. He was known to build expensive building projects, including the temple in Jerusalem. And he had a high level of cruelty. Some say he had nine to ten wives, one of whom he executed for no real reason at all. But no matter how dark the day, God always has devoted and obedient people. Since it is a chunk of scripture, we are going to read the text as we go along. So let's start with verse 5. In the day of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. See, names are so deeply important to us as humans. They, they are crucial in some ways in understanding not just uh, the world around us, but each other. Our surnames are rooted in history uh, and, and family traditions. While our first names, that was our last names, our first names, establish more particular understanding or identity or personality, you may become quite attached to your name or, or you want uh, or, or may wish uh, you were called something else. Naming is one of the great privileges given to Adam in the garden. The power to define the world is certainly in certain terms. No label of reality 
and determine people's perceptions of it. To ask what you all, of your own name, what is it, what is it, what does it mean? Who I am indeed, who, who am I to become? What's in a name? My mother was quite disturbed in my young days, my young years, when I decided to uh, go from Terrence to Terry. It caused her great distress. Uh, it caused a greater joy when I uh, became a pastor and I promised that on the day that I would be ordained that I would go back to Terrence and being called by the name that she had given me. It's an interesting thing that when I moved here to Detroit, I, I, I didn't even really know this, but when I had to change my license from my Minnesota license to a Detroit license, I had to present my birth certificate. I was completely surprised that when I went to the airport for the first time to go somewhere and discovered that there was a security problem with me because my license, was, my name was spelt with an E versus an A. I was taught to spell Terrence, T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E, but my birth certificate spells it with an E, T-E-R-R-E-N-C-E. So at this point, I'm always going to cause some issue at the airport because all my credit cards are with the A's, but my license has an E. I was curious about names, about my own name in some way, so I looked it up. I wondered what my name meant kind of from a biblical standpoint. Terrence simply has a definition of heart. Now, if you were to ask some people, you, you might discover, uh, they might say to you that when, when they think of me, Terrence, and they hear heart, that it matches who I am in some ways because I, I somehow have displayed this deep heart of care of whatever heart means for them. Zechariah was of the division of Abijah. His name means Lord has remembered. Yahweh has remembered. Elizabeth was the daughter of Aaron, or, or of the daughters of Aaron, and her name means, my God is an oath. Right off the back, we know who we are dealing with. As we lead into, uh, uh, go, lead into verses 6 and 7, both of them from, were from priestly lines. And, 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 and this leads us to our first consideration. Faithful, verses 6 and 7. Let me read that to us. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Hmm. Right at the top. These two individuals, in the midst of dark days, in the midst of no prophetic words, they are seen as righteous, as, as doing the right thing, as being obedient to the one that they serve. It was also seen as, this time was also, also seen, as I said, when God was silent 400 years no prophet were uh, raised up to speak God's word. No brave men empowered by the Holy Spirit to call people to repent and turn back to God. 
no amazing miracles, signs of wonders, just silence. See, I think Luke wants to set up Zechariah and Elizabeth's righteousness against the backdrop of Herod's evilness and his abuse. Herod was evil. They were righteous. Herod was a king. Zechariah was a priest. There's a story told from way back in the early 1900s, uh, a man named Ernest Shackleton. He had three companions, and they, in this particular moment of time, decided that they were going to do this trek to the South Pole, make this attempt to the South Pole, uh, and obviously what would be uh, one of the, you know, just an incredible task. So they set off with four ponies moving to their destination. The ponies were loaded up with their provisions, and then weeks into their journey, the ponies died. Their rations were just about all gone. So they decided to turn back towards their base camp. Their goal, not accomplished. All together, they trekked for about 127 years on the return journey. Ernest, in his recordings, said what they talked about that occupied their conversation all along the way was food. Big, big feast that they tried to imagine all these different gourmet delights they wanted to consume. They came up with menus of different types. As they staggered along, suffering from, from uh, dysentery, not knowing whether they would survive, every waking hour was occupied with the thought of eating. Jesus, who also knew to the, some levels what it meant to be desperately physically hungry, said this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We, we can understand Ernest Shackleton's obsession with food, which offers a glimpse of the passion Jesus intends for our quest for righteousness. See, God needs kingdom-minded citizens in a time that seems to be attempting to snuff out the light of the gospel. There is joy in our Faithfulness, which leads us to our second consideration, fearful. Verses 8 through 17. Bear with me as I read this for us. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter into the, the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at that hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and feared and fell 
upon him. But the, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his his mother's womb. And he will turn many many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. The priests on duty drew lots to see which minister would would perform or which ministry would be performed. And Zechariah was chosen to offer incense in the holy place. Now, the text says this was great news. I'm not sure how great the news really was. Obviously, to serve God. But in that day, if you didn't come correct in the holies of holies, something was going to happen. Something was going to drop off or you were going to drop dead. You had to come correct before God. But this was a test that only came about really once in a lifetime. As I read through commentaries, I, I didn't really have this picture before for some reason, but there were thousands of priests. And really, you only served one or two weeks out of a year because of the number of priests. So to actually be chosen to go into the holies of holies was truly a special occasion. See, God often speaks to his people and calls them while they are busy doing daily tasks. Moses and David were caring for sheep. Gideon was threshing wheat. Peter and his partners were dealing with repairing nets. God often calls when we are busy. But the thing that I most want you to hear is the angel saying to Zechariah, fear not. Uh, This is a theme that Luke uh, addresses several times throughout his book. Fear not. In fact, we know in 2 Timothy, the, fifth, the first chapter, it says, for, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. This happens to be something that God wants us to deal with. So even in the midst that uh, uh, Zechariah has this angel before comes, appears out of the blue, he has this fear. God somehow, when we get in those moments, want us to move through it. There is a story, a myth of a person, a thief, named uh, uh, Black Bart. He was a professional thief whose very name struck fear in the people he terrorized as he robbed Wells Fargo's stages along the way from San Francisco to New York. His name became synonymous, 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 
You know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, with, with danger in the frontier. Between 1875 and 1883, he robbed 29 stagecoaches. Amazingly, Bart did, did it all without firing a shot. Because he wore a, hid, a hood to hide his face, he had no victims that saw his face. He never took a hostage. The sheriffs of the day could not trail him. Instead, Black Bart used fear to paralyze his victims. His sinister presence was enough to overwhelm the toughest stagecoach guard. Here's the thing. Most of the time, we shake in fear on what may happen, but not ever having had experience what will happen. Oftentimes, the evil one doesn't have to follow through on a plan because we stop in our tracks just thinking about the potential of his plan. See, rightly dealt with, there is joy in our fearfulness. There's joy in our fearfulness. See, uh, we just, uh, he just, the evil one just lays a few negative thoughts. And I defeat myself long before he needs to step into, step in with an action. Oh, amen, all by myself. Uh, let, 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 let us consider stepping forward towards where, where God is taking us versus being paralyzed by what we are unable to see. Oftentimes I try to keep, uh, uh, keep in my mind this this acronym of fear, right? That, that it, is, it is something that appears to be real. Fear is something that appears to be real. So we have faithfulness, we have fearfulness, and we have faithless, verses 18 through 22. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day of these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at, at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. So you think, you think that the, the, you would have to think that the presence of an angel would have solidified what the angel was actually saying. You would think that 
Zachariah's faith would have just come bursting forth because of the word that this angel Gabriel who announces, I stand in the presence of God and he sent me to tell you this good news. You think his faith would have just exploded, but he crept back in doubt. What did Zachariah say? He said, look at here. Look at here. I am old. And Elizabeth, great woman she is, she ain't got it going on either. I wonder why he didn't remember Abraham when confronted with the same quandary. This was an oral tradition. I have to believe that the story of Abraham and Sarah was passed down from generation to generation. What God had done... For Abraham and Sarah. Why didn't he remember? Would Abraham and Sarah, God responded by saying, is anything too hard for God? This was not a question, but a point of fact. Because he didn't believe he was struck silent. Some would say uh, it was a judgment on his unbelief. I say it was an opportunity to figure out where he was. Like Adam in the garden, God asked the question, Adam, where are you? Was it that God didn't know where Adam was? Absolutely not. It was Adam who needed to understand where he was. See, we beat ourselves up for our unbelief. But I want you to understand today that it's all a part of the process of growing. And in fact, our God knows where we are. But do we know where we are? Mark 9 makes this statement. Uh, uh, Jesus said this is a story where a, a, a man has, has come to Jesus for the healing of his son who was dealing with some demons in his body. Actually, his disciples tried to bring healing but could not. Jesus responds to this man. Jesus says to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. See, Jesus understands our unbelief. and We can't stay there, but he understands that many of us start there. There was a house that caught fire. A young boy had to flee up to the rooftop. Uh, to, to, uh, for safety. The father was stood at the ground below with outstretched arms calling to his son, jump, I'll catch you. He knew the boy had to jump to be saved. The boy could not see, however, because of the flames, the smoke, and the darkness. As you can imagine, he was afraid to leave the roof. His father kept yelling, jump, I'll catch you. The boy just was out of his mind with fear and yelled back to his, his father, daddy, I can't see you. The father replied, but I can see you and that is all that matters. 
See, I say to you, church, you may be in a place where you can see the smoke and the flames, but God sees you. And that's all that matters. That has to become bigger in our lives than the smoke and the flames that we are concentrating on. See, there is joy when we move through our faithlessness. So we have faithful, we have fearful, we have faithlessness, and last, which is the best part of the text, favor. Verses 23 and 25. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So let's just understand this just for a quick moment. That reproach among people. Zechariah and Elizabeth understood very deeply. In that time, not having children was almost like a disgrace. That it meant that they had nothing to move their tradition forward. Their name couldn't move forward without children. It was, a, it was a huge burden that Elizabeth was carrying that she did not have children. But God kept his promise, and Elizabeth conceived a son in her old age. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, Lord God, It is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing. Zero. Empty set is too hard for our God. The birth of her son was the evidence that the Messiah was coming and and, and, and these are Exciting days indeed for them because they know God's about to do something. God's about to respond. God's about to deliver on what he said. I say we live in days that can be just as exciting, if not more. See, we have the Messiah. God has shown that he is more than able. God has shown his favor. He has shown his favor on us through, through our, uh, our eternal life through Jesus Christ. He has shown his favor on us through giving us strength to live for God. There is a great psalm, Psalms 18, that really kind of displays for us this favor. Along about verse 6, it says, In my distress, the psalmist says, In my distress, I call upon the Lord and cry out to my God. The next several lines of that song indicates his, the dilemma of which he found himself in. He writes about pangs of death, 
the flood of ungodliness, the snare of death, and even the sorrow of Shiloh, the grave. Talk about a messed up life. As, a, as the reader, we can almost visualize the drama display or the spectacle of how God answered his, this cry for help. Verse 16 uh, through 19, the narrator says this, God's amazing answer to this prayer. He delivered the author from the calamity of the situation and rescued him into a broad place of safety and security. That's good. But the most, the most remarkable thing here that I saw in this entire song was the 19th verse. This one line, he delivered me because he delighted in me. He delivered me because he delighted in me. That alone should give us joy. The only reason we can personally experience God's favor or, or more uh, in a more contemporary song, God's amazing grace is because God delights in us. God's favor is totally, unequivocally, unserved and unmerited. There is nothing, nothing we can do to earn or merit his favor, but we have it through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When a person works an eight-hour day, they receive their fair pay for their time. That is a wage. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for their, their performance, that is a prize. When a person receives uh, appropriate recognition for their long service or high achievements, that is an award. But when a person is not a, a capable of earning a wage, can win no prize, deserve no award, yet receives a gift anyway, well, that that is a good picture of God's unmerited favor. See, this is, this is what we mean when we talk about the grace of God. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That say the wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace has allowed you and I to enjoy the benefits of God's riches at Christ's expense. We have the grace of God. We have the favor of God. We can trust him when we can't trace him. We can believe him when we can't place him. There is rest in him when the storm rages. Our God loves impossible situation. Emptiness may be all that we have to offer, but the end of us is just the beginning of God. When, when in our weakness, he is the strength. When we are in deep, there is more than enough room for him. What looks like a barren land to us, he will bring forth new birth. You know that God said, or do you know that God said he would not leave us, but stay with us. There is joy. 
There is joy. Elizabeth told Mary as soon as she heard Mary's uh, uh, greeting to her uh, and it reached her ears, the baby inside her leapt for joy because he knew the voice of the mother who was going to bring forth the child that was going to save the world. This morning, we too can leap for joy. We are not waiting like Elizabeth. We have Jesus, and more importantly, Jesus has us. As we are faithful in the midst of our fearfulness, even faithless at times, yet we have the favor of God. Oh, amen. All of God's promises are yesterday made. Rejoice, rejoice. Again, I say to you, rejoice. Amen. Let me close us in prayer. Oh, precious, faithful, and holy God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, that in and through our faithfulness, our fearfulness, our faithlessness, you grant us favor. Not because of us, but because of you. God, I pray that as we consider the rest of this year, as we, in a, in a few days, will celebrate the remembrance of the birth of our Messiah. God, allow that joy, even now, to come bursting forth within us, God. Allow that joy that as we consider all that has been in 2020, allow that joy to be bigger than 2020. God, I know that there are situations, there are circumstances, there is pain, there is hopelessness, but we have you. And you are there with us in the midst of that. How amazing that we might need to walk through some fire. But what happens is that when we come out of it, we don't smell like smoke. We thank you, Lord God. We praise your name. We glorify you, Lord God. May your will be done in and through us. Allow your joy, God which is wholly attached to you, be with us. In the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen.